Hello and welcome to his dropping at the movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from the electric where we've seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. In the original French, Portrait de la Jeune Fille en Feu. <laughs> Your French is excellent. Wasn't that nice? <laughs> a little bit than I expected. <laughs> it's a French historical drama film written and directed by Céline Sciamma. She's previously done Water Lilies and Tomboy, Girlhood. The reason that I uh, said to you, let's go and see it, I had not heard of this, and you had, mm. it turns out. But it's just because yesterday on the eavesdropping post about Dark Waters, Mark Fuller, one of our listeners, said, oh, you should see this. Have you seen it yet? It's fantastic. Mm. You must go and see it. And he's, one of the things he said, or the only thing he said was, the cinematography is beautiful. It's the most aesthetically beautiful film I've maybe ever seen. And I can see exactly what he means. Mm. Every frame in it has the look of like a Renaissance painting. The composition and lighting is extraordinary. And there's a clarity to the image yes. that's amazing. To me, they look like 19th century paintings. They're very textured and detailed and the skin has a density. Yeah, it's it's a film that's beautifully lit. And actually, we should find out who the cinematographer is. Claire Mathon. Yeah. The work she's done is incredible. Oh, it's incredible. I think it is incredible, actually. Because, you know, the painter I was thinking of was like David. You know, that French kind of late 18th, early 19th century painter. He often did historical uh, tableaus. But, like, the faces and the bodies were just, like, really, really highly detailed and lifelike. And and the faces on the women, they really look like portraits, yeah? They kind of, you know, they're so um, beautifully and intensely lit. And often they're against very sparse backgrounds, right? A bed, a wall, a staircase, yeah? Mm. Or the sea, Right? There's not a lot going on in the frame except their faces. So it kind of it forces you uh, to look. And the film, I think, is conceptually brilliant. So it actually begins with a woman saying, look at me. Yeah, look at how I hold my hand. <laughs> and, and so on, right? So she's, she's, she's directing the gaze right, onto herself. And then the film turns the table because... Um, one of the students asks, what is that painting and who's done it? And she says, it's a portrait of a lady on fire, I painted it. And then it kind of flashes back to her arriving in Brittany. And you realize that she is there on a commission to paint a young woman who doesn't want to be painted, who's already refused, you know, a previous painter. And the reason why she's painting her is for the male gaze. It's basically so that her husband-to-be could look at her and approve, uh, approve her. And if he does, she's off to be married, right? Yeah, to a Milanese gentleman. That's right. Yeah, That's so, all we know about him. So this, is, this film is so conceptually interesting because, you know, really, it's all kind of women looking at each other, women directing the gaze, women focusing the light, and so on. You know, but underneath it all, this patriarchy, yeah, this painting, this representation, this portrait is ultimately go is directed at an unknown male who never appears, you know, on screen, but really who controls everything and particularly the course of this young woman's life and the direction of the narrative. I mean, it really is kind of, I think, conceptually quite brilliant that way. Yeah. So the two uh, main characters, 
are Marianne, who is the painter, yes. played by uh, Noemi Merlon. And the other one is uh, Adele Hanel, who is the girl who is to be married off yeah. to this Milanese. They're a wonderful couple together because one looks kind of Mediterranean, the other one is blonde. The eyes are filmed beautifully, so the painter has very black irises, but with almost a kind of a silvery green iris around it. Yeah, I mean, it's just stunning. And then uh, uh, Eloise has blue eyes, but then at key moments in the film, they'll turn like almost liquid black, yeah. I don't think they were blue. I thought she had like really green eyes. Not not like uh, boldly green, but, um, you know, a kind of greeny, yellowy thing going on. But then there is that one point where her eyes are just entirely black and it's That's quite right. creepy. And uh, well, I could be wrong. I thought she had very fair eyes through most of the film. Yeah, she does. And then kind of dramatically, you know, they become liquid black at one point. That's right. You know, whereas the other one is really green-eyed, but you like dark green, yeah? Uh, I thought she had brown eyes. No, you see, no. She's got deep green eyes, yeah? Like, again, there's like a black... Is is the centre of the eye, what's it called? The pupil. The pupil is deep black. Always. Yeah, but the iris around it is like this deep green, yeah? Okay, uh, you say so. I, I, I noticed it as brown. No. Alright. Whatever. I can't find a good picture. <laughs> anyway, it's not significant. The only kind of significance about it is one is dark, the other one is fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one looks northern, the other one looks southern. One is a gentlewoman, you know, of landed gentry, and the other one is of the professional class. She's a painter, right? So there are all those differences. Yeah, but this thing about who's painting, who's represented, how they're represented, who they're represented for, yeah. you know, the dangers of representation, all are subjects or all are themes in the film. So the way the film moves is... Uh, Marianne is brought in uh, on commission to paint Eloise, but the mother says it's you know, she's not supposed to know because she's she's eaten up painters before and she's refused to pose for them. And I think it's important that although it's kind of thrown away as a line, the previous painter that you hear about is referred to as a he. Yes. Okay. It was a man that she was she was refusing to pose for. Um, so Marianne comes in essentially to kind of uh, uh, accompany her on walks around the island. Uh, Eloise has come back from convent, she's been there for three years, and the reason that she's been brought back, she hasn't decided to come back, she's been brought back because her sister died. And there's a sense in which she is taking on her sister's job. Yeah, she's inheriting her sister's husband-to-be. Basically, yeah. So it's her job now to get married, and so on and so forth. And there's also a suggestion that the sister killed herself. Yes. You don't really hear very much more about that, but it's something to linger in the mind. And it's connected to other things because, so the younger sister has been in a convent and the older sister basically does, commits the worst sin that it's possible to make as a Catholic, which is to kill yourself. But obviously it's kind of phrased very carefully because if you do kill yourself, you can't be buried in consecrated ground. Right. Yeah. And it would also like diminish the prestige of the family and so on. So it's phrased very carefully, right? But it's suggested. So uh, Marianne has to kind of sneak glances at Eloise, you know, when she can, and uh, and try and build up this image of what she looks like to, to paint this portrait. And she does so, and it's a serviceable portrait, 
and the mother would have been happy with it. But before that, she reveals the truth to Eloise. This is what she's done. She's a painter and she's had to lie to her. And invites Eloise to see the painting. And Eloise says, you know, it's not the fact that it doesn't look enough like me. I mean, that's kind of fair enough. I didn't pose for you. But it's the fact there's nothing of you in this. That's what she objects to. And there's this conversation around, well, there are rules. There are conventions, right? Basically, Marianne saying... I'm painting the way you're supposed to paint. I'm painting the way men paint. I'm painting for the male gaze. And that's what uh, Eloise objects to, I think, under that. Because then when Marianne destroys that painting and says, no, I need to do it again. I don't think it's the kind of romantic affection that's growing between them that is the root of that. Although I think there's definitely elements of that in it. But it's the it's the respect that that shows. And the, and, this, and, the, and the connection between them, something's got through to her. And that's the reason I think that, Mary, that uh, Eloise says, I'll stay and pose for her. I don't because she's done respect, uh, I think. I didn't understand it that way, because I thought the conversation was Eloise saying, you've caught my externals, but there's nothing of me in it. Right, than, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's right. So I, she's been observing, but actually, yeah, she hasn't really be, look, been looking or understanding. That's right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, and and considering that there is a growing attraction, the fact that the painter who's been observing, yeah, has not been able to get at who this real person or, you know, who real feelings might be. I think that's part of the reason. Oh, yeah. sure. Well, I mean, uh, um, yeah, I didn't mean to say she doesn't look like her, but she does say, Eloise... She says, there's nothing of me in this, but that's understandable, she says. Mm. But it's the fact there's nothing of you in it. Uh. She wants the painter to put herself into it. And obviously, Marianne says, no, she's been holding back. There are rules and so on and so forth. Mm. And it's in that breaking down. It's also when the mother leaves for that mm. five days that kind of is the second half of the film and the relationships develop and they work on this painting together. That's when, you know, that kind of, th those rules, they start to break them down and make things from those. So, and you get to the point where when they kind of finally uh, kindle the fire between them and, and enter into uh, lovemaking, I think it's Eloise who says, does everyone feel like they're inventing it mm. when they make love? Which is this incredible line, I think. Especially for the time, especially because it's a lesbian relationship and this is like late 17th century, something like that. And you feel, well, obviously this is really scary. You're not allowed to, to do that at it. all. So yeah, you had to. There'd be no... A kind of understanding of what this could or should or is allowed to be or anything like that but you know also because everything is theoretically subject to the patriarchy to the male gaze and this is about breaking all of that down it's all about inventing something new yes though it's more it's more than just about breaking it would be too simple to say it's about you know breaking the male gaze the film is very subtle I think so you know what you realise slowly is at the very beginning when she's talking to her students it's all women Later you find out why that is. The person who's commissioned her to go paint her daughter is also a woman. You only see men, like on the boat, They're the boat that takes her there, and then they're useless. Her luggage is dispersed at sea, and she's got to dive in and get it herself. And so men are always at the edges, you know, as a prohibition, really. So, for example, near the end, you know that the visit is over when she sees a man in the kitchen again. Yeah. Yeah, the men have all been absent. Unless there's so, been no man throughout the entire film yeah. after that boat trip. So you get a sense of women's world and women's and women also being vulnerable and victims to a larger world. 
that doesn't really know that they exist really. Yeah, so the maid who becomes friends with both Eloise and Marianne um, Sophie, and is. Sophie, she's pregnant. And actually, these questions overhang. Who got her pregnant? How does she get pregnant? The fact that she's not married, they've got to get rid of the baby. There's some extraordinary images of the abortion, right? Which I kind of, I can't imagine anyone filming an abortion like this, actually. You know, which is she's on the bed with a baby, you know, and the baby is like gurgling and cuddling her. And it's kind of, mm. you know, such a potent image, really. But it's all done by women. Yeah. Right? Um, so that's important. I mean, there's a lot of like kind of female solidarity in this. Yeah, there is a world of women with the men kind of overhanging as a prohibition or really, I mean, you know, after all, like, you know, the painting inevitably will do what its purpose is and they're both resigned to it. It will be sent to the Milanese nobleman. She will get married. She will have children. You know, their lives will continue and will continue apart and each to some degree will fulfill their prescribed role, though not without pain or regret or loss mm. or all these feelings that the film is showing you they're learning for the first time. There's also an extent to which when those three girls are just together in the house and the mum's not there and so on, um, status breaks down although mm. not entirely but obviously status breaks down between uh, Marianne and Eloise mm. um, because they enter into a relationship together um, but also between Sophie who is lower than both of them really she has the kind of scullery maid um, you know you have that scene where they're making dinner together and Eloise is there too like cutting potatoes mm. and stuff they're all cooking together and you know it really struck me it's like because you you wouldn't expect Eloise to be doing any work mm. that's not her job you know that's, that's not what she does she sits there and is mm. waited upon you know, so without the authority of the mother to kind of keep everyone in place, they will behave more fluidly. You know. Yes, I mean, it's almost like the mother is the agent for patriarchy, really. You know, she kind of sets the rules um, and she's got a function and she's got her own agenda. She comes from Milan. She wants to return to Milan. You know, she wants kind of the food and culture and society that Milan would offer, provided her daughter marries a Milanese. It's a film that really kind of grew on me. So at the beginning, I thought, oh, this film is asking a lot of its audience because they're all kind of quiet tableaus and looking and so on. And then actually, I kind of, I just caught, got caught up in the emotions, really, mm. you know, um, because the film is careful at demonstrating how these women's feelings for each other both grow are depicted, represented, but also articulated to themselves, yeah? You get the sense that everything is new to them, yeah? Because, you know, I mean, I'd be, I'd be, I'm sure they'd never come across a lesbian love affair in literature or, mm. you know, kind of all their frames of understanding are uh, from the classics. But in this case, what they use is the story of Orpheus and oh. Eurydice. Orpheus descends into the underworld to rescue Eurydice, I think. And he succeeds. But then the condition is, if he turns back and looks at her, then she will die. And in fact, he does. Uh, and the question is, is it out of desire? Or is it out of... Is it a, po a lover's wish or a poet's wish? And kind of the discussion is that actually it's a poet's wish. What's longed for is not the reunion, but the last look. And there's that painting 
that Marianne has done at the end, which shows up in a, a show for sale. Yes. And the the kind of patron who's looking at it, a, an old fella, says it's an interesting one. This because you either see him before or after, but this is in the middle yes. of this decision, this decision to turn around and look, and it's as though they're saying goodbye together. Yes. Um, I was very, very moved by the end, you know, partly because of their acceptance, yeah, that they have no power. So I think there's a line, well, you'll now finally learn remorse or regret or something like that. But, you know, there's never any question that they will run off together or whatever. I mean, you know, social convention is just too strong. Women's uh, options are too limited, right? This moment is really the best they can hope for. And then they go on to their individual lives, though, you know, you can tell how much they've meant to each other because at the end she says there were only, I only saw her again two times. You know, once was at a picture gallery and very significantly with a book showing that it's page number 28, which is the same page that she had drawn a picture of herself for her in this book yeah so she doesn't see her at that showing but she sees the portrait of her and it's the portrait with this book open to page 28 very deliberately like her finger is in yes. like to show it's this and this message yeah you know or will she see this yes. you imagine her kind of thinking he has no idea whether she whether marianne will see this message yeah so it's a message to recognize the love that they had really and the place that it occupies in her mind and it's also clear that it's many years later because in the portrait she has a child with her who's like five or six years old. Yeah. yeah. And then even more heartbreakingly, I thought, was the end itself, which, you know, they see each other at a concert hall or actually mm. uh, Marianne. Marianne sees Eloise at the concert hall, but Eloise doesn't look back, doesn't see her. And all Marianne sees is Eloise slowly unraveling from tears and emotion upon hearing Vivaldi's summer yeah yeah so this is she's played this to her before on a harpsichord quite badly because well this is an interesting thing this is also where the convent I think to an extent comes in there's obviously something very sheltered about um, Eloise's life Mm. Uh, because she comes out from the convent and she one of the things she asks uh, she asks Marianne is what's an orchestra like she Mm. whatever she comes up she's been to an orchestra and she kind of says, how could you possibly describe it? And you kind of think, yeah, you're right. And then a little bit later when she says, what's love like? You think, oh, how could you describe that if you can't describe an orchestra? Mm. You know. Um, but she plays uh, on harpsichord at this bit of, of summer. And she describes what it's supposed to be saying. It's a storm, the insects respond and so on. And it's great. And then this is what you hear in full force at the end. And you don't see the orchestra or anything like that. You're just looking at this long take on Eloise as she starts to cry mm. and then starts to kind of smile and brings up all these emotions and it's an incredible performance and I thought it was incredibly moving as well although I've said it before sometimes when you use a piece of music that powerful it's kind of cheating like the music is incredible but obviously like it's used really well I, I didn't think sense. so because I thought the actress you know was so wonderful at you know the way that her body slowly begins the way that she begins to cry. Yeah. You know, which is kind of, you know, very slow. It's in tune with the music and it becomes heaving, right? Uh, you know, all whilst maintaining her posture. I thought that was brilliant, actually. It was. 
Uh-huh. It won't. I take nothing away from it. I'm just saying it doesn't work as well with like yakety sacks. Well, that's why you don't use yakety sacks. Well, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I mean. <laughs> so like, you pick the right bit of music, you know. But uh, it works wonderfully. And actually, the film the film has a really interesting use of sound and music because it's it's mostly pretty silent. And then every now and again, you will hear incredibly quietly something kind of ominous beneath mm. a scene. To the point where actually I thought it might be coming from like another screen. You know, you kind of sometimes you hear sound bleeding from another oh, screen. Oh, right. No, I didn't I, feel that. I knew it wasn't. The point is, it's that level of, it's that far underneath the action, you know, mm. and it's just informing a tone. And then you get this at the end, it, it is so loud and so bold and overwhelming the fullness of the music mm. at the end. There's that, and the moment at the, um, at the feast in the dark and the bonfire. Yeah, when, when all the, the girls start together, singing, and then they sing a collective, a cappella, but orchestral. Yeah, I don't song. know what that song is or anything. I don't know what its history is. No, I don't um, know either. But it's important that it's a cappella and that it's orchestral with all of the women playing different parts that collectively make this beautiful sound. Yeah, I think that aspect is important. That it's collective, that it's organized, orchestrated, and so on. Yeah. And that's obviously when her dress catches on fire, which I wish I'd seen more of that painting. Because that, that, the actual painting called Portrait of a Lady on Fire that you see right at the start that informs this entire movie-long flashback, yes. you see for five seconds. And I kind of thought, oh, this is going to be the story of how that painting came about. Hmm. Which obviously it is to some extent. Like This is the, that is a painting of her, and it's a painting that memorises uh, Eloise to hmm. Marion, if you like. Um, but it's not the story of this particular painting, and you see it being painted, which you, I think you would, would see in a different film. Which is just to say that I, the glimpse that you get of that painting at the start, it's such a beautiful painting mm. and, and evocative and weird. You've got the moon in the sky illuminating the cloud. You've got the girl on fire on the beach. You don't really see it very clearly. It's an incredible thing to look at. And I wanted more of just to see it. Mm. Um, I, I actually like better the representation of reality because, you know, again, it happened in one of those moments where all the women are together. And she's obviously so transported by feeling for... Madeleine that she's not aware that she's on fire yeah. and actually she's not aware that she's on fire she just keeps looking at Madeleine and Marianne. It's, or Marianne and it's the other women who put out the fire in her dress she sees it though she looks down at the fire and then looks back up and doesn't, yeah. just doesn't react to it yes. she's like she's in a, in a, in a trance or in a daze mm. and it's the other girls who come along and go no actually you, you really need to put this out yeah and there's obviously two fires. There's the fire that's going on inside her, you know, and then there's the fire in her dress. And actually, both can kill her. <laughs> yeah, like, you and know, if that Milanese finds out about the heart, <laughs> the fire in her heart, yeah. <laughs> it's like, she, you know, she's burned as a witch or something. And it's interesting that the actual portrait that is eventually produced of her includes her. So she poses for it, obviously, uh, which she's refused to do for the previous painters. But then at the end, when it's pretty much finished, Marianne says, come around and look at it. And Eloise says something like, how do you know when it's finished? And you say, well, eventually you stop adding paint. But while she's there, she keeps on adding brushes yes. here and there, moving up the paint and just touching it up. And then she says, now it's done. And it's like it's with Eloise's sort of direct consent yes. that this painting is complete now. Yes. You know? It's like, yeah. so the creation is, is both of theirs. She's on the other side of the easel at that point. Hmm, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. Um, but she definitely approves, yeah, because they both know 
the painting being finished mm. is also them being finished. So it has kind of other connotations. Um, what I liked very much is that moment where Marianne draws herself for Eloise and Eloise for herself in little miniatures. And they're in bed, right? And there's a mirror that's reflected directly on Eloise's crotch where Marianne sees herself. <laughs> I thought that was lovely. Um, there's something else that occurred to me when I was, I was thinking about the way in which the actual portraiture sessions are shot. Uh, it starts off with Eloise not being present when it's kind of having to be done in secret and you get Marianne sort of putting the dress on for herself, wearing it in a mirror and trying to kind of uh, arrange it so that it looks interesting or looks pleasant to, to paints and that sort of stuff. And obviously then Eloise comes in and she's able to pose with her completely. Mm. And there's also that really interesting one where, as you said, she, um, you see the abortion being performed by the midwife and then, like straight after, you have... Uh, Marianne posing Eloise and Sophie in a reenactment of it to paint it. Yes, and it's interesting because from from the audience's perspective, you see these poses being uh, kind of arranged, these compositions being arranged. Like the color is involved as well. You have this thing at the start: where's this green dress? Oh, she's blonde. Okay, it'll work. Mm. You know. Um, so you see this being uh, arranged and composed, and then it makes a beautiful photograph right and then of course what you see is Marianne turning it into a painting so you see this kind of the film is creating beautiful evocative photographic composition at the same time as it's creating beautiful painterly composition out of the same thing and you see this kind of the the separation between the two it just really kind of struck me it's doing kind of two things at once I think it's I think it's a wonderful film and I highly recommend that everyone see it yeah I loved it it's really beautiful really romantic it's a sensuous film as well, yeah. You know, the colour is intense. Mm. Yeah, the images have depth and texture. It's lovely to look at, right? And it has kind of like the richness of colour and light. Yeah, it kind of goes with the richness of emotion. I highly recommend. Mm, it's great. All right, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping on the movies and we are on... Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you. Adieu.